If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Julie, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 192 of Classic Conversations, and we've got a classic one for you today. Angela Cartwright is here. That's right. Penny from Lost in Space, Linda Williams from The Danny Thomas Show, and of course, Brigida Von Trapp from The Sound of Music. It doesn't get classicer than this, and we're going to get lost in space with Angela Cartwright in just a few seconds. In the meantime, I hope you had the opportunity to check out episode 190 with Mark Lano, co-owner of the legendary Improv Comedy Club. So many great comedy stories if you're a comedy lover. That episode is for you. Of course, the bonus Crossing the Stream episodes, so you always know what TV shows you should be binging. So much for you to do. But right now, task at hand, it's time to dive into my conversation with Angela Cartwright. Enjoy. All right, everyone, I'm excited to introduce you to my next guest, actress, author, artist, photographer, princess of space, loved her in The Danny Thomas Show, Lost in Space. Sound of Music. Welcome to the show, Angela Cartwright. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you? I am doing okay. You know what? We not that you would remember, but we met. I met you once at Motor City Comic Con. I have you can see behind me. I got a lot of autographs and stuff. But one of my treasured ones is my Lost in Space one. I've got four autographs on it. Uh, Mark, you, Bill, and Marta. Marta wasn't there the year I got it. It was the year like in 2011. She came by herself. This is like my crown jewel of my wall of autographs. <laughs> How exciting! I know. We're there forever. I know. It's so cool. It's so cool. So I think that was the first time I ever went to a Comic-Con and I actually experienced like a fandom thing where there was like, you know, like it was a group. It was a group of people there. Like it was, it was very nice. It's amazing how the legs that this show has, um, it really captured people's imaginations and they have come out and followed us for many years. The fun part about doing an interview like this is I start, I go and I rewatch a bunch of stuff that I haven't watched in a while, you know, so just kind of get it fresh in my head. And it's like, I grew up with it all, but you know, just relive. And it was, it was interesting rewatching the pilot and which actually your launch takes place in 1997. That was interesting. How bizarre is that? That was so far away. And here we are 2023 already. I know it's crazy, but it was, what's interesting is my memory as a child watching it and rewatching runs were all the color episodes so season two and three where right. where the tone completely changed and it was a less serious drama than the first season it was interesting because when the movie came out when they rebooted the movie it was a, uh-huh. it was serious and i think i had forgotten at the time that that was what the first season was because i think i later read the black and white episodes weren't played as much well actually uh cbs said that we were scaring the kids that first season. And so they wanted it to be lighter. And, you know, I love that black and white noir, very kind of, it was, it felt very real. The mission control and the takeoff and all that. 
just seemed so perfect in that first season. I love that first season. I loved the shows. And then they said that we were scaring the kids. And we had an early time slot. So it was seven o'clock. So we went on to become a little more comic, a little lighter weight, and of course, in color to kind of be in contrast with Batman, which was all colorful and bam, wow, smash and all of that stuff. That was our competition on Lost in Space Night. I actually have your book, Blast Off, uh, the nice. expanded edition and the sound. Oh, good. I'm and, glad you And the-, the sound of music uh, scrapbook. You're oh, a photographer oh. and I enjoyed these books so much. Like there's something about scrapbooks They say a picture is worth a thousand words and it really, really is. I mean, it's just, it's like you get such a different feeling looking at photos that, especially ones that were never seen before to really capture a story like you did with Lost in Space and, and Sound of Music with, with that, that movie family. Absolutely. The, um, the Sound of Music one, I'm really glad that we were able to do that because we've lost, you know, two of our Von Trapp faux Von Trapp members. And it was just so nice to get everybody's memories and get their memorabilia and be able to put it together in a book. The Lost in Space one came out of, you know, just an idea of all these images that Kevin Burns, who he's passed away since, but he was so generous with the merchandise that he had. And he was a huge Lost in Space fan. And so we had all these pictures. I am just totally a photography freak. I love photographs. I love altering photographs and finding old photographs. This book fascinated me. And originally it was going to be more of a picture book. But as Bill and I started to remember, you know, it's like going through your yearbook and going, oh, yeah, that's right. I was a cheerleader. Oh, I remember this person. We started to do that. And it became these stories that a lot of them we just rethought up and remembered and it was so much fun putting that book together and having those memories and it was just a great great time and then what happened was Kevin got all these new pictures and Bill and I was during the pandemic had decided that we would start cleaning out some of the stuff we had in our house which I'm sure many people did because we were on lockdown and We started going through our scrapbooks and finding all this other stuff. So we decided to do an expanded edition because there was so much more that we had not said and done. And so we upgraded it. And I'm just so proud of this book because it has brought people back and the memories that they have from that time makes them happy. So it's a fun book. It really is. It really is. And, you know, it's like I it resonated with me on a personal level. Like I love I'm the family photographer. Right. There's always one. The person you talked about in the Sound of Music family scrapbook that the parents took so many pictures and that like later how thankful you were. And that like when we go to Disney World. I would spend more time working on the scrapbook of it than we did on the actual trip. Drove the kids crazy, making them take pictures every five feet and all that. But now it's just something you can so look back on. And so like when I was looking at, at your books, I was like, that's, it just resonated with me because this is exactly how I think everything should be remembered. It's just, it has to be so visual. It's, it was great. Anyway, I loved it. Oh, thanks. So just wanted to start off with that. Go, let's go back in time a little bit. <laughs> Let's uh, talk about your album, Angela Cartwright Sings. (laughs) Oh, God. You're going way back. I was hoping you could sing 64 tadpoles for me. Oh, Lord. I'm afraid I don't remember the lines of that one. But I will tell you that that album, I made that particular album. I was seven years old. 
I'd been on the Danny Thomas show for three years. I started on that show when I was four. And I did sing and I did dance and, and I did in several episodes also of the show. And that album, my dad sings a couple of the songs. He's Mr. Jumbo. That's his voice. And then Starlight, Starbright, which is such a, a beautiful little duet. And I shall always treasure that because that is my dad singing and he's since passed. So it's those are the kind of memories, you know, that you just hang on to and you just love. I love that. That's so awesome. When I started to research shows like, you know, around the, those times, like the Danny Thomas show, like you had your own line of clothes that you wore on this on the thing, right? There was there was action figures. You don't see many sitcoms these days with action figures or, or dolls, right? Or <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm a boy. I said action. Uh, and just a funny thing about those clothes. Um, my mom saved a lot of those Linda Williams clothes. I used to put my daughter in them and now her daughter wears them and her daughter loves those clothes and they are beautifully made. You know, a lot of clothes just aren't made with the precision that they were in those days. And she loves to dress up. And when I see them, it's just, it's so joyful to to see that this old vintage dress is being worn by your granddaughter. It's just lovely. You're like, you better enjoy that because you don't, you have no idea how much money I could be making on eBay right now. <laughs> <laughs> I figure once I'm gone, whatever they do, maybe someone would like one of those outfits. <laughs> I mean, your early movies, your first movie was with Paul Newman. I know. Lucky me. I know. And uh, then uh, Sidney Poitier in your second movie in Rock Hudson is Make Room for Daddy, the Daddy Thomas show. Is that is that where you're like, where the memories start to kick in? I imagine you were so young during the other, you were like three, right? When you first started. I was. And, uh, you know, I was born in England, so it wasn't that planned anything. It just was my journey, my faith, I believe, because my parents never imagined that their kids would be in show business. My sister, is Veronica, is also a well-known actor. It just happened. And those things do just happen sometimes in life. And I happened to get on a television show that lasted for seven years. And then, of course, to go on to make The Sound of Music, which is kind of the dream movie to be in. I feel very blessed that I was in this movie that still people love so much. And that's apparent at these sing-alongs where, you know, the Hollywood Bowl is like completely sold out as they're watching this movie that's like 60 years old. And it's just as good. I mean, it is a fabulous movie. So I'm, you know, so happy to have been a part of that. Anyway, I forgot the question. Now we were talking about Paul Newman. Did I remember Paul Newman? Not really, but I did go and visit him on a set um, when I was doing Lost in Space. He was working at 20th Fox, and I actually made my way onto the set, and I introduced myself. I said, you probably don't remember me, but I played your daughter in Somebody Up There Likes Me. And he was so cute. I know I probably made him feel pretty old because I was like 12 or 13 at that time. <laughs> I Visually, just from watching it, I remember it, but I don't really remember it on the Danny Thomas show, those are the lessons that I really remembered. Because we did that show live every week in front of a live audience. So it was like putting on a play every week. Was it scary? I mean, because it was a one take thing, right? You learned your lines you and then you shot it. Was that a lot yeah. of pressure for a seven-year-old? I didn't feel pressure. As an adult, I would feel more pressure. I did it because I... I always knew my lines. I think just going over it and blocking it and getting ready to in rehearsal, I just knew my lines. So I don't ever remember being nervous or scared about being in front of this live audience every week. And, you know, I did start when I was four. I was rather disciplined. 
double Virgo. Hmm. And I, you know, was very prepared. And I've just always kind of been like that. But I wasn't scared. No, I wasn't. And I did enjoy it. I did enjoy doing it, but it became my life because I was just so young. I didn't really know any different. That's what I thought people did, you know, went to work. It's an interesting thing. Like, it is. I bet I purposely didn't ask you that because like, you grew up. That's the way that was your childhood. It wasn't like at some point you went in public school and then became, you know, I was like. Well, I actually did go to a school. I got my books from a parochial school every year, but I did go to school on the lot. But I did go back to school um, one year. We finished and we were on hiatus, but I had to finish out my school year. And that was a little tough because I hadn't been in the classroom. I didn't have my friends, my clique or my friends, and people saw me on television. So that was a little rough. But I never really let it bother me so much. I was I was a very kind of introverted, kind of quiet child anyway. You wouldn't know that from some of the lines I had to say on the Danny Thomas show. But I, I did come from a British family and it was a respectful family. And, you know, I had my chores I had to do and stuff like that. So I just kind of took it as a grain of salt. And I don't know, I, I really have to give kudos to my parents for that. You know, they made me feel comfortable, but not like I, I was, you know, better than anybody else. This was just what I did. This was just my lot in life. And so it was, I don't know exactly what they did to kind of not make me freak out, but I didn't. Sorry, got to take a quick break, but I do want to thank everyone for their support of the sponsors. When you support the sponsors, you're supporting us here at Classic Conversations, and that's how we keep the lights on. And now back to my out-of-this-world conversation with Angela Cartwright. And I was very lucky later on. I never felt kind of this stage of my life was over because I was no longer a child star. I never felt that. I think a lot of of young actors do. Of course, in those days, we didn't have social media and stuff. So, you know, we, there wasn't the competition that there is now. Right, right. Was it fun with your sister? I mean, she was a huge success as well, right? Daniel Boone. I noticed on her IMDb, she was on the Danny Thomas show for a couple episodes also. My sister played a brownie on the (laughs) Danny Thomas show. She was in a couple episodes. Her life kind of took a different turn because she did a lot more dramatic stuff. She was in the children's hour. She was in the birds. And she handled that stuff really, really well. She knew it was pretend. You know, she knew that this was make-believe. Yeah, she went on to have a very illustrious career. But it was tough at that age 18. You know, it's a rough period. You either make the transition or you don't. And for me, I did do some things after we make room for granddaddy. I was 17, turned 18. I was fascinated by photography. I always wanted to model. I did that. I went to Europe and modeled there. But I was not, you know, I was 5'7", so I wasn't like a huge tall model. Did a lot of commercial stuff. And then I really wanted to have a family. That was really important to me. And I found my husband and we had our kids. And that life was enough. I mean, I really wanted to be a good mom and a good parent. But I've still kept busy and kept my toe in the water and, you know, done things continually because I like to be busy. So I, you know, art was a perfect uh, way for me to express myself. And that's what I, I did. I went on to write books and stuff like that in art. That's amazing. You find your path and you're extremely creative and you found a different outlet for it. And 
raise a family, all amazing. When you were younger, I interviewed John Provost and he, in his book, he talks about you and your friendship. Did you, it was right. he one of the folks that you hang, hung out with, Timmy from Lassie? Well, John and I, they would put us together a lot, like we were dating, but really we were friends. You know, they would do these um, Fab magazine and Fave magazine and Tiger Beat. You know, we would, oh, a date with John Provost, you know, and he <laughs> was like the heartthrob at the time. He was a very cute boy. And so they put us together, but we they'd have us go places. Our parents were with us, but they'd have us, you know, they'd take us places like the zoo or concerts or whatever. And so it was a great way to kind of go to these places and be treated to the best of the best and be with somebody that was fun to be with. He's a very nice guy, you know, and they did that with several people like Sajid Khan I was set up with, Kurt Russell. I mean, there were... They were just, uh, they needed to get their news. Media hasn't changed much, you know. There was a lot of uh, fake news at that time also. But it did get people to watch the television shows. Yeah, I saw in uh, one of the one of the books, you had uh, some of the teen beat headlines. Like, I, what was one? Uh, I had a crush on a married man, and then I met a monkey. Or something. How humiliating for a teenager to get that headline. And then saying that I, it was Mark Goddard that I had a crush on. I mean, please. Until <laughs> I met a monkey. I, You know, Mickey Dolenz and I, he was on Circus Boy, so I knew Mickey. You know, when you were in that circle, I call it the club. You know, there were a lot of child... Not a lot, but there were several child actors and we would always kind of cross paths in different ways. Photo shoots, TV guide, you know, these things that they would set up. And also a lot of charity stuff where we would be and you would just know them and you would hang with them. But, you know, it wasn't. <laughs> I came across one the other day, 10, 10 temptress, 10 tips for being a temptress or something like that. I mean, really, I'm, you know. <laughs> I'm going to give you tips on how to be a temptress. <laughs> I actually think I'm going to post that on Instagram. It's such a laugh for me. And I think people might get a kick out of it. <laughs> that is hilarious. That is fun. Right, so one piece of trivia for the Danny K show that I find is that Andy Griffith and Ron Howard made a visit to the show. And then that spun off into the Andy Griffith show. Right. Andy, uh, actually it was Danny Thomas. I, I think you said Danny K. Oh, Dan, um, I'm sorry. Danny Thomas. Um, that's okay. <laughs> he, you know, Dan had his fingers in a lot of different things. He was in production. He had many television shows that spun off. Joey Bishop, Andy Griffith was one of them. He played the sheriff in a town that put Danny in jail. I don't know if you saw that episode or remember that episode, but that character of Andy Griffith was the one that Danny did the spinoff for um, Mayberry. And that was Mayberry, right? Yeah. yeah. And that was Ronnie Howard that, you know, was his son. And that was that show. But there were many others on uh, the Lucy uh, Desi Studios called Desi Lou Studios, which I can see so clearly in my mind. It's just so amazing how clear that vision of that studio is to me. It's like, I, I, I mean, it's not in existence anymore. I think it was a, they turned it into a tennis something, teaching the, the tennis courts or something. But Desilu Studios, there was Lucy on there and all these different shows. Bill Bixby was somebody that played the grocery deliverer 
on Danny Thomas show. And there was something in that performance that Danny saw that created, you know, a show with Bill Bixby. I can't remember the name of it now. Courtship Freddy's father, maybe? Yeah, that was probably it. I don't know if that was it or not, or but he went on to do something with Bill Bixby. And Danny had all these different shows that he was, the Danny Thomas show to me was like a classic comedy for the 50s. And he took that and just ran with it. He was very visionary, visual with his ideas on what shows would be successful. And then I found out in some book, and I can't remember the guy's name, but my husband was reading this book and he said, oh, look at this. Apparently, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I I tend to believe it is, that Danny wanted to play the godfather, Vito Corleone. Hmm. And so he tried to buy that book and everybody was so terrified that he would end up playing it. I don't know if that's true either. I think probably Danny, being such a comic genius, wanted something to kind of stretch his his acting abilities and his skills. And he was probably very taken in by that book, which many of us were when that book first came out, and thought, oh, I could play this part. And so he went on to buy, want to buy that or, and... I don't know if that's true or not, but I can see Danny wanting to do that. I think there's a million examples of comedic geniuses being so great at something dramatic. I mean, there's like a million uh, examples of that. I mean, I always enjoyed Robin Williams' dramatic, sometimes more than the comedy as well. Jim Carrey was another one I thought was a very good actor, but everybody loved his goofy comedy. I agree with you totally. Robin Williams, perfect example. He was a wonderful actor. So, yeah, I think, you know, sometimes you get in show business locked into a box. And the only way out of it is for the actor to buy it up or have a piece of it or something. Perfect example of that's Reese Witherspoon, who played that kind of kooky blonde. And, you know, now she's like a producer that does amazing roles for um, different women. She's got her finger on a lot of books that come out and she buys them up and um, is able to produce them. So I think that's the route that people have to take because otherwise you get locked into you're always going to be that character. And, you know, that's a hard box to fight your way out of. Absolutely. Yeah. And Reese is amazing. Like, it's just like anything, right? If you can take control and chart your own destiny, then it's endless. And everybody's capable of doing it. They don't always know the way to do it, but you just have to keep fighting for what you want to happen. You can make your own destiny. There's just a lot of, I think, self-consciousness a lot of times that get in the way of making it happen. Absolutely. Oh, it's, I love finding trivia. So one thing I found when you met, you mentioned Make Room for Granddaddy, which was the spinoff, but the before that you did two one hour specials and those are considered the first TV reunion shows. That was the first time that had occurred, I guess, up to that point, according to this piece of trivia I found on the internet. <laughs> you mean the Danny Thomas? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Danny Thomas TV family reunion. Considered, oh, so those were like the first reunions? Considered yes. the first TV reunion shows, yeah. I had never heard that before, but actually I do believe that. And I also believe that Do Re Mi sequence that Robert Wise created going all over Austria singing that entire medley of Do Re Mi was the first music video. And that had not been done before. You know, he he was someone else who could really see, because he had started as an editor, he really could see the end result before it was even filmed. I think he was a brilliant director. 
That is quite a talent. All right, so let's pivot to Sound and Music with Robert Wise, who also hired you for Somebody Up There Likes Me. Yeah, but he didn't even know that. I mean, I think as a kid, I was just like the type of kid he liked. I don't know, because he had hired me for Somebody Up There Likes Me to play Paul Newman's daughter. And that was my very first movie acting role. And he had given me a little stuffed mouse that I hold in the movie and you can see it. I'm I'm shaking it and I go, mommy, it's only daddy. That's my line. I was three. Mm -hmm. And so it was my parents who realized that he actually had directed somebody up there likes me. So I took that to the set one day and he was genuinely surprised. He said, oh my God, I didn't realize that you were you were who I hired for that part. So it was a, a interesting little moment. I had him sign it, my little mouse. I still have it. That's have amazing. Some... <laughs> He's probably like, see, I trust my instincts. I've been right all this time. <laughs> you yeah. have. Look at yeah. you with your research. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So so Sound of Music. I thought it was a, a cool kind of antidote to the the story that Danny Thomas allowed you to miss the last episode, let you out of the contract so you could be in The Sound of Music. Yep. That's one of those things that could have been so different because he had every right to let's say, no, I've got to be in this last show. But he was a very generous human, which of course reflects in St. Jude Hospital, which was something he was dearly connected to. He had that vision and he made that happen. And he let me out of that last show so I could start rehearsals on The Sound of Music. So I'm forever grateful for that. Yeah, because there's a million stories that you hear about actors that were supposed to have a role that someone else got. And then it just became Mm -hmm. like a classic role. Yeah, it happens all the time. So what was the audition process like for Sound of Music? Well, when we knew that the Danny Thomas show was ending, um, my agent sent me on this interview for this movie that was going to be done from a play. I'd never seen The Sound of Music. But I went in and I met Robert Wise, Saul Chapman. And then I was called back again and I was asked to sing, which I did. And I also was asked, I think, to dance something. I can't remember whether I danced or not, but if they asked me to, I probably did. And then I was called back when they had tried to make a family. The other interesting thing about the family that Robert Wise created, usually they were all blonde on the stage productions, but he didn't have that. I mean, if you know, several of us had dark hair. And that might have come because he wanted to cast Christopher Plummer, which was such a way out there choice, I think. But without Christopher Plummer, I don't think the movie would have been the same. He had so many lovely nuances in his performance, besides being absolutely gorgeous, which I didn't even realize till I was in my teens. I think Every time I see it, I see something else in his performance that makes it so real. And it's the reason that you never dislike him in the movie. He just, you can tell he loves his kids, but he doesn't know how to take care of them. It's uh, its just a great performance, I think. And his choice, I think, was pretty wild. He was a Canadian actor and, you know, nobody knew Christopher Plummer. And even though I know there's stories that Chris thought it was so pinky and, you know, the sound of mucus and all that, they made a big deal about that on media. Later on in, in life, I think he realized he probably would never have had the career he had if he hadn't played Von Trapp, Captain Von Trapp. So, he was, I thought he was such an amazing actor and went on to do some amazing roles too. Sorry, but we have to take a quick break. 
And we're back with Angela Cartwright and the sound of music. Absolutely. I mean, the co- the combination of him, Julie Andrews. And Julie's talked several times. I mean, it was only her second movie. And Julie was so smart in how she became friends with us. And literally between takes, because, you know, a movie, you take a lot of time and a lot of takes. It took us a year to make the sound music from beginning to end. And we had a lot of rain in Salzburg at the time. She would sing, she taught us songs, we would dance. I mean, she literally was our Fräulein. We all absolutely adored her. And you can tell in the movie how much we all cared about her. Oh, yeah, that all comes through. Yeah, it is amazing when now we go, oh, it was Julie Andrews. And, you know, but Mary Poppins hadn't even come out yet when she was filming that role. No, actually, she was nominated for the Academy Award while we were in Oh, had it just, it had just come out? Had it, is that what it was? And then she got nominated? Okay, yeah. she was just ramping up pretty hard. <laughs> I know. There's somewhere, you know, Robert Wise and powers that be recognize this was a star definitely in the making. And yet she talks about how insecure she was because she didn't know how to make a movie. And Mary Poppins had so much green uh, screen, you know, with the animated characters and stuff like that, where you have to look at stuff. We were talking earlier about where you look on when you're doing a Zoom and stuff. On Lost in Space, we had to do that all the time. They'd have a stick with a piece of cardboard on it, and that would be our monster. And we'd be looking at this stick with a piece of cardboard on it and imagining that was this, you know, big green monster or some giant or something. You know, that's where the acting part comes in. (laughs) Is it then? We'll jump back to Sound of Music in a second. But like when you film something like that, like Lost in Space, where then they film, put in the monster and stuff later, when you watch it, the completed one, it's you're watching it for the first time and fully experiencing the full experience of that integration. So that, that must be a hoot, right? I mean, like to be... <laughs> Sometimes you don't know what it's going to be like. Other times we would know what the monster was because we did have scenes with them. Remember, this was before CGI and everything. But... Because of the camera angle and everything, that monster couldn't fit in, you know, to the side of the camera to, you know, do the close-ups and stuff like that. (laughs) So, yes, sometimes we were totally surprised. And other times we'd go, wow, that, that looks great. You know, especially with something like the Lost in Space movie, you know, that was on Netflix. You know, so much of that, they had no idea what that would look like. And, you know, you can just do so much now with, you know, your Photoshop and stuff like that. Although my bit, I was actually sitting on a boat and we were freezing our butts off. Um, (laughs) And I'm thinking to myself, why aren't we on a set with a fog machine? Instead, I'm sitting here freezing to death in Canada, (laughs) (laughs) pretending I'm dying of cancer and I'm drunk. Um, (laughs) It's all in a day's work. What can I say? I, I, uh, oh, so back to sound of music. I want, I had, uh, Nicholas Hammond on the show. My Frederick. You guys, I love in the book, like you guys had that bond and you maintain that bond and, and friendship after the movie. There was an interesting quote. I think it was Nicholas had said it in the, in the scrapbook where he was like, we're so close now, but we may never see each other again. And you guys, uh, you guys managed to reconnect periodically. It has been very unusual, actually. This doesn't always happen. But on Sound of Music, because we had this experience together, uh, we have remained very close, all of us, over the years, over like 60 years. I think it's 60 almost. You know, we all live in different parts of the country. 
which is so interesting. We were, you know, called together for the Julie Andrews Lifetime Achievement Award. And, you know, we all flew in and we pick up exactly where we left off. It's the most amazing thing. It's just like a real family that you don't see all the time. We all came in from our different places, from Australia and Michigan and all these different places. And we just pick, oh, hi, how are you? And so on and so forth. We all know each other. We text each other. It doesn't always happen like that. And Sound of Music and Lost in Space, I have had that experience um, because the Lost in Space family also. Some of that had to do, I think, with conventions bringing us together. That has been really great. For the Sound of Music, it's it's mainly been events that have brought us together because, you know, there has been celebrations or, you know, all these things like Julie's Lifetime Achievement Award. That was lovely. You know, we all gathered in Hollywood. We all had this lovely dinner. We were able to sing to her. In a way, it was like, you know, giving our nod to her and thanking her for, you know, being so great in the movie. But being a part of that was just so great. I was so grateful for that. That's a great memory. But I've been lucky with that. That doesn't always happen. It's great that you were able to experience that as, as many times as you did. So interesting thing in the scrapbook, there was a little note there. It said your mom kept a diary during this time. Yes, she did. So when you look back, was there anything that kind of popped out at any point in your life that was like, that you didn't remember, that you were just thankful that your mom happened to jot down? Well, it was a very brief diary. It was a very small diary. And on the pages, she'd say something like, rain or went for wardrobe fitting in brief like that. But then there were other moments that brought back just memories of, you know, shot at Helbram, uh, Kimmy fell in the water, just those moments that just bring back those memories so much. You know, I do a tour of Salzburg. I've done it uh, four times now where I take people to the locations where Sound of Music was filmed and my memories of shooting there. And each time it's been really neat. Sometimes we've gone to places that I haven't been to since we made the movie, you know, like up on Maria's Mountain, where we did Do Re Mi. We were up there one of the times. It was great because it's a private piece of property. It's really fun. And it's it's such a great way to make memories. And I've always been terrific people that have been on this tour. It's through craft tours. I'm doing it again in April, God willing. So this will be, I usually do it at Christmas, but this time it'll be in spring, which is when we film the movie. So that'll be fun. That sounds so cool. (laughs) I love that. It really is. Uh, Well, first of all, Salzburg is stunningly beautiful city, worth seeing anyway. But what's so interesting, there's so much history to it. And it looks exactly like it did when we've made the movie. It's like being on the movie set again. You know, Mirabelle Gardens, where we, you know, saying Do Re Mi, you can actually see it in person. I teach the routine on the steps of Do Re Mi at the end. And it's really fun. We have a lot of laughs, do a lot of singing. It, for me, it's always bringing back those memories. I love that. And it must be so special for them. To be there with you, to be their tour guide. Oh, wow. Kind of weird. Brigitte Von Trapp takes you to <laughs> That's kind of, it's cool though. I The other awesome thing in, in the scrapbook is you talk about, you wrote a story about meeting the Beatles, but then later in 1964, you actually met the Beatles. So jealous. Meeting the Beatles. Yes. That is in the scrapbook because Heather and I were like Beatle crazy. We love the Beatles and- 
yeah, I wrote this imaginary story of them coming to the set and meeting us and all of that stuff. But then later on in life, I was able to meet them younger. And then later I saw Linda McCartney's gallery showing and Paul was there. And I went with Heather and Bob, who also we sat and talked to him for a little while. So that was really cool to see someone that you had admired and kind of grown up with and be able to actually talk to them and meet them in person. That was cool. I can't, I mean, could you even hold yourself together? I mean... (laughs) When I did meet them, at, it was at a CBS party, and they were making an appearance there. It was for charity, but you got to go through and meet them. Some people didn't even know who they were because they were so new. But my sister knew because of a radio station that had released their first album that was published in England. And so we used to listen to Beatles songs all the time. So yeah, the picture of me with the Beatles, I am looking a little... Oh my God, that look. (laughs) (laughs) I'm meeting him. My hand's just leaving Paul McCartney, you know. (laughs) Can't even imagine. That would have been so amazing. So cool. (laughs) Oh, wow. All right. So after Sound of Music, we got Lost in Space. Right. I love Lost in Space. It was it was just I I just remember watching it so much as a kid and just thinking it was so amazing, so great. One of the, you mentioned Batman earlier, the influence mm-hmm. of Batman, and like I, there was some cool pictures of you meeting Burt Ward dressed as as Robin and pictures with Adam West and you. So I imagine the rivalry was off screen was was fun, but this is <laughs> this is what you see. This is what we credit for the shift in tone from season one to two was going up against this color, you know, now you're in color and and now it's a little more whimsical than, than the drama we talked about earlier. Yes. But there was really the rivalry, I think was, you know, with the ratings and with the, I I mean, as kids, we didn't care. I liked Adam West and, and met, you know, Burt Ward and they worked right next to us on the, the lot on 20th lot. So we see him all the time. But, you know, that was quite a newsworthy story to see, you know, Penny Robinson with Adam West. I was, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> lots of, I mean, Lost in Space, the, the cast was, it's a powerhouse cast. I mean, right when they put you all together, I mean, Guy Williams was Zorro. June Lockhart was the mom on Lassie. Bill yeah. was, I think, Twilight Anthony Zone. Freeman. I think Twilight Zone, I think. You know, him, you know, you, you know, coming from the Danny Thomas show and Sound of Music. I mean, it was just like this insane cast that they hold together. So the expectations of this show must have been off the charts, I'd imagine. I think Irwin was really onto something. He had this idea of using these blockbuster stars later on in Towering Inferno and Poseidon Adventure. There were always very recognizable actors and actresses in those movies, which brought people out to watch these. And when you say it like that, I've never really thought of it like that. But yeah, we were all people that people recognized from previous work. Even uh, Mark Goddard had been in uh, The Detective, I think. So yeah, he, he did that. And he did that quite often with his different roles uh, and, you know, big movies that he made. I did uh, Beyond the Poseidon Adventure with him when I was in my 20s. And that was Sally Field and Michael Caine, Shirley Knight. And that was, you know, that was a pretty awesome cast, too. Yeah, that was uh, that was a blockbuster. Telly Savalas. Uh, like, did you nearly drown in that? Did I did I read that? <laughs> <laughs> Yep, that was, ugh, that was tough. 
That was really tough. And Mark Harmon, it was like his first acting role. Thank God he uh, he helped a lot with, you know, where to find a place to breathe. I mean, we went down into water when we went into that thing. Oh, and I think of how probably unclean it was. Ah, weird. You know, I don't think that that was laid out as well as it could have been. <laughs> Talk to me about your co-star, uh, Debbie, the bloop. <laughs> oh, Debbie. She was a star of her own because she went on to be the face of Planet of the Apes. They had made a mask of her face. And also she was in Doc Tari afterwards. I really liked Debbie. She was very sweet. She had to wear that silly hat and she was very patient with it. She really was. And I loved animals. So it was not, you know, any chore for me. And she was very sweet. She was. In the book, Lost and Found in Space, too, um, we do quite an homage to Debbie the Blue because I think a lot of times, you know, animals are kind of forgotten. She was a big part of it. People just loved her. She was so cute. The headset that she wore, did they sell that? Was that merchandise at the time? Could you buy that? Probably not. And you know, it probably would have brought a fortune. It was very hard. It was like made out of like paper mache and they just would fit it on her head like a helmet. This was before all this memorabilia, you know, would bring in a fortune. Sure. And then talk to me about Jonathan Harris. It seemed like <laughs> yeah, it'd be so Jonathan much fun. He had a birthday. He was, he would have been 106, I think. What a great guy he was. I loved working with him. Great um, to be around. You know, your acting experience can either be really a good experience or it can be an awful experience too. Uh, and he made every day entertaining, funny. He's a great storyteller. Uh, we had lots of laughs on that show. We all love Jonathan. He was really something. And he owned that part. He made Dr. Smith what he was. It just oozes that. It's, it's so the character is such a great, great character. Oh, you know, it was interesting in the book. You talked about how they didn't really talk to you guys that there was a person in the robot. Oh, we knew that. Oh, you did? But we weren't supposed to say anything. Oh, you weren't supposed to say anything. It was just, it was funny because when I read it, I was like, oh, oh yeah, I guess there was a person in there. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I just accepted it as a robot. <laughs> it was, of course. I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, they didn't want people to really know there was a, somebody in the robot because we knew Bobby May was, he thought he was the robot. He was a character, but he, he worked his butt off. He really did. Oh, I can imagine. It must have been hot, hot in that costume as well. Yeah, he always knew his lines and he had to work the hand thing and he had to say the lines and flash the lights at the right time. Then they dubbed the lines in with uh, Dick Tufeld later because they wanted this certain pitch. But there wasn't a harder working actor than Bobby May. He loved that part and he worked very hard at it. He was great. The robot's such <laughs> an amazing character. And it's it was funny reading that you didn't meet Dick Tufeld yep, until the years. 90s. Yeah. What a lovely gentleman he was, too. He's no longer with us. Neither is Bobby. But Dick was, he'd go in, do his lines, and um, we didn't meet him for many years. Our paths never really crossed. It's funny how you like when you... It just seems that you would have all known each other. But yeah, I mean, the way they kind of edit things in and post-production. all times. <laughs> so is Bill Mooney, is, is, would you consider him like your best pal from all the past shows or movies that you've done? Because you guys seem to have like this, such a strong friendship, strong, strong friendship. 
We do. It's like being on a journey together. Nobody can really like know that journey, but you've been there together. He's a great pal and very talented musician. And we have a lot of laughs together. We really do. We have some good times. It was great. We could do this book together. Yeah, it was just really fun. Because you guys were pretty much the same age, right? I mean, we'll give maybe a year apart at the time. So. Yeah. yeah, I'm a year older. Okay. But it was fun to be on a show with another kid. And we had a lot of adventures. I mean, we would, you know, steal around the lot. And, you know, we went to school every day together uh, for three years. And then after that, too, they kept us on the lot. So it was a different life. Pranks? You guys pull a lot of pranks? or Yeah, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, Mark Goddard was one of the great pranks. He would pull them all the time. Yeah, we, we had a good time on that show. We really did. and. I, I, it was a great crew, a hardworking crew, and a great group of people to be around. It really was. When you got noticed that it, it ended, because they didn't bring it back for season four, and I think that was, that was a surprise to everyone. I know. We all thought we were coming back. It was a very popular show. You know, there's been certain things that have come out about, you know, what happened and Irwin didn't have the shows written and stuff like that. Who knows? You know, there were a lot of different people, I guess, that had parts of Lost in Space. But we all thought the cast, all of us, thought we were coming back for a fourth season. And when we didn't, that was shocking to all of us. When you found out you weren't coming back, you had already completed season three, right? So, I mean, you're like, right. at home. so was it hard not having like closure with the cast? Very. Usually you have a goodbye party. You have a an end of series party. And we didn't have that. I think it was hard for people who watched the show too, because it was just kind of ended. Where are they? They're still up in space. And then Bill wrote an epilogue, which kind of tied it all together and brought everybody back. But I guess he took it to Irwin and Irwin said, no, if I'm going to do that, I don't even want to read it. If I'm going to do that, I'll do it myself, which I thought was pretty crummy. We actually filmed that epilogue in a reading around the table. And you can see that on the DVD. Do you have the DVD, the latest DVD? No, my version didn't come with the DVD. Oh, probably because yeah. no one has DVD players anymore. <laughs> oh, <like> no, <laughs> no. No, it's um, you know, you could get the DVDs. Oh, you mean like uh, the se- like the series, season. the seasons. Yeah, okay. I thought I think the original version of your book came with the DVD episode uh, version. No, no, one. that's the Sound of Music one. Oh, you're right. I'm confused. There was no DVD with the Lost You're right. It was sound, it was it was Sound of Music. I'm confusing all yeah. my books. You've written so many books. <laughs> I can't I know. Even what straight. can I say? You forgot to mention Stoning the Stars. Well, let's talk about it. Dialing the Stars. Okay. Book of uh photographs that you put together from the uh from the archive. Right. Exactly. You know, these were pictures that were never meant to be seen by anybody because they were just they were filmed to use as continuity shots so that if you shot one scene one day, you had to have your hair look exactly the same when you leave a room and then you pick up the shot somewhere else. Uh, it's called continuity. And these are continuity pictures that were meant to never be seen by anybody. But I remember seeing them at, when I was filming Lost in Space. I remember the boxes and boxes and boxes that were piled in the entrance of the stage. And I always used to think that was like so weird. And then they created a archive under the lot of all the 20th Century Fox stuff. And that's where all these pictures were stored. But many of the boxes had not been opened in like 30 and 40 years. Oh, wow. That was a great experience. 
it came out of a dream that I had. And I thought, oh my God, what a great idea this is to put together a book, you know, these old pictures of all the golden uh, stars, you know, that from all the era. I mean, there's just beautiful photographs and Insight Publications put it together and they did such an amazing job with the printing and stuff like that. And Marilyn Monroe's on the cover here. That was really, it took me two and a half years to put that together. I did it with Tom McLaren, who was great at keeping everything in order because otherwise it would have been a total mess. But I saw so many pictures I'd never seen before of all these 20th century Fox stars. So it was really fun experience, that book. That's amazing. And I, when we talked earlier, I was like, the whole visual history is so amazing to me. Like, just, I think you'd love book. You like uh, trivia. I'm going to, I'm going to, that's going to be my next, my next thing. It's available on AngelaCartwrightStudio.com and I'll even sign it for you. Oh, I love that. Oh, it was how how to turn a tomboy into a temptress in 10 easy lessons. That's the one. There you go. I've got to put that on my, my Instagram. There you go. Uh, <laughs> this was awesome hanging out with you. I, I loved all the stories. I appreciated you sharing them with me. Where can people hang out with you? Online. Where can you hang out with me? Online, online. <laughs> online, we've got, um, well, I have Instagram and that also connects to Facebook. It's AngelaCartwrightStudio.com is my little store. I have my artwork there. I have my books there that are signed. The Lost in Space book, I have signed by Bill and me. Um, and you can get that there and I'll personalize it if you want me to. Great present if you've got a Lost in Space fan in your life. And the same with the Sound of Music book. So, uh, yeah, that's a fun little thing that I keep up is my my website with uh, my little store, my little my artwork and stuff that I do. So I also wrote art books that give different techniques on altered art, hand painting photographs and mixed emulsions is a book I wrote. Two other ones in this house, in this garden I wrote with Sarah Fishburn. So I've got a couple books. It's all fun stuff. Make life as, as interesting and as passionate as possible. Well, I appreciate you making it as interesting and passionate as possible and sharing it with the world. I love that you take all this time. Like seriously, everyone, those scrapbooks that, that we talked about, all these books that we talked about are so cool. <laughs> Well, keep it up, you know. It's so easy these days to do these photo scrapbooks and down the road. You know, people, I, I know my kids and my grandkids, they love looking at old pictures and old history and bringing back that stuff. Let's not lose that with this digital world. Yeah, it's so easy. It just gets lost on your computer. Like, you got to print stuff out. You got it. Tangible is, will never go out of style. Having something physically in your hands. Analog. Analog. (laughs) (laughs) Angela, thank you so much. Can't thank you enough. Great talking to you. All right. How amazing was Angela Cartwright? So fun to hear all those stories. Angela was part of so many iconic things. Unbelievable. Go visit Angela uh, at her website and social media. All the links are in the show notes. Definitely check out those books we talked about, The Sound of Music Family Scrapbook and Lost and Found in Space 2 and the book Styling the Stars. If you love nostalgia and amazing photos, all those books are just a treasure trove waiting for you to own. We're going to take a pause on the hashtag games. I do want to thank once again my guest, Angela Cartwright, for hanging out with me. And of course, I want to thank all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. 
Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word, and we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.